Speaking of mercy, where do you hear this passage today? This is continuing our Finding God in Art series. The artist will be saved to the end. So let's begin with the life of Samson, reading Judges chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. More on that in a second. He said, I'm going to my wife's room. You'll get the implication of that, right? What's happening? Okay, we're all adults understanding what's happening. Good. I'm going to go to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. But isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, this time, I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain, together with the vineyards and olive groves. When the Philistines asked, who did this? They were told, Samson, the Timnite's son, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he stayed down in a cave in the rock of Edom. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they replied, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did it to them, what they did to me. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. And the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> you know, this is a little dark. Your what the heck, I think, is the proper theological response to this passage because you're supposed to read that and say, who am I cheering for? Who's ghost Samson? I mean, it's, it's a dark story in a dark book, in a dark time. This is in Israel's history, the time after they'd been delivered out of Egypt, the time they'd wandered for 40 years, a generation, the time that Joshua established them in a land, and now a time largely where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And this is what it looks like when people do what's right in their own eyes. There's two haunting moments in this passage that we just heard read where they go to the Philistines and we're saying, he, we're just doing to him what he did to us. And then Samson says, I'm just repaying them what they did to me. It's very much if you've ever intervened between two siblings fighting, that's what happens. I'm justified of what I'm doing because I'm returning and equaling things out from their evil done to me. And then you go to the other child, and they have the exact same story, but it's on, on the other side of things. Um, 
So when you hear this passage and think, go Samson, kill those thousand Philistines, yes. Or do you say, that's a mess, and I don't know how to hold that passage, which is, I think, the proper response. That's what you're supposed to think. The passage, I'm going I'm to spoil the ending. The ending of the sermon is not, be like Samson. It is not three leadership lessons that the life of Samson teaches you about how to deal with conflict in your life. Like, if that's your takeaway, you're reading the words in the wrong way. You're reading scripture in the wrong way. That is not the point of this book. You're supposed to wonder, if this is what a hero looks like, what hope do we have? Where can hope be found? Which is the theme through the book of, Sam, of Judges. Samson took the Nazarite vow, which broadly speaking means denying yourself three things. Strong drink, contact with a dead body of any kind, and cutting your hair or your beard. How, how did Samson do in this, in this as far as maintaining the vow? This is one of the ways that we commonly... Think about his strength is in his hair. No. His strength was in the covenant his mother made with God to raise him as a Nazarite. The hair was the last part of the vow he broke. The writer wants you to see he drank. He certainly touched some dead bodies, did he not? He, killed, he made dead things with other dead things, which is the donkey and the chair and the bone here. The, the vow was the last thing he broke in that. So it's Part of the subtext of the story is God's faithfulness to the covenants that we make with him, even to the very end, until the last part of it's broken with the, with the whole haircutting thing. If you walk away from the, um, with three leadership lessons from the life of Samson, um, you may do great in politics. I'll grant you that. But the point of this is not to be like Samson. The, the, the point of this is to recognize what happens when everyone does what's right in their eyes. When there's no concern for, for peace, for the common good, when the only concern is what's right for me right now. And you can see the logic that permeates this whole passage is people doing what they think they're right to do, what they're justified and vindicated in doing, and how that leads to a downward spiral. Um, there's, this is finding God in art. You may think, oh, the downward spiral. John's going to talk about Nine Inch Nails. Believe it or not, I'm not going to talk about Nine Inch Nails in church. There's a different artist I have in mind for that. Um, but what you can see in this passage is a downward spiral of violence. You would look at this and think, if this story continues, this story ends with humanity erased from the earth. That this escalation and this exponential, what begins with a, um, a, a, a riddle, ends with a thousand dead bodies. Thinking, how did we get from, from a riddle to 1,000 dead? And... By the way, Samson being the last judge in the book of Judges and the spiral continuing to the end of the book of Judges. That, that this, de, this, this downward spiral that began and ends in, in a place where people are desperately crying out for, for good leadership. The hero of the story, so this is my first point. Point number one, God is the hero of the story. God's faithfulness is what this story is fundamentally about and as commentator James Wharton observed about Samson, Samson looks like an oversexed buffoon. Amen. Let's pray. So, in this passage, you see a downward spiral. It's a, little bit hold to hold, it's a little bit hard to hold everything together. So we've got some slides. Hopefully that will help you make sense of this escalation of violence. And when you see the slides, you're going to say, John, there's no way you designed those slides. And you'd be right. 
Pastor Sean next door was kind enough to, to do this in our Finding God in Art series, uh, Downward Spiral. So slide number one. This is the prelude. This is the setting of what we just heard read. The setting is like any good romantic story. A testosterone-fueled Samson sees a woman whom he considers beautiful that is not named, and he says to his parents, get me her to be mine. Okay, so that's the context of the story. He sees a woman that strikes her as beautiful. No conversation. She's never named. It's just she's, to Samson, a thing to possess. So he, his parents go, and they're kind of going through negotiations about dowry and whatnot. This is all in, in, in chapter 14. And he kills a lion. Next day finds honey in it, eats the honey out of the lion. So he gives this riddle that is a sexual double entendre that is about this lion and grabbing something sweet out of it. It's, it's, I'm not going to get into it because this is church. I don't want to blush in front of all of you. But he gives them a riddle that they would not be able to solve because only Samson can solve it because only he ate honey out of a lion. So he gives them this riddle. They can't solve it. Um, they don't want to keep their promises. They've been tricked and deceived by Samson. And they go to Samson's would-be bride and say to her, to her dad, listen, get the answer to this riddle or we're going to kill you. So what her dad does is like, he's not going to give you the answer to the riddle. I have no way of accessing that. So instead what I'll do is I'll marry her off to somebody else. That'll take care of it. So that's what happens. That's, it's, it's really romantic. Uh, it's a really romantic story. So Samson goes, and in the next slide, he's, he finds out and discovers the, um, that his wife has been given to another man. Wife, in quotation marks, because it is simply something he's declared is true. It's not something that there's any ceremony or anything to back up the fact that they're husband and wife. So the dad says, oh, I thought you hated her. I gave her away, but have you met her sister? Her sister's even more attractive. And, um, so that's number one. So um, there, he's trying to get out from being bullied by Samson and this whole, he understands the stakes. So he's, they, he gives his daughter to somebody else. And so Samson, number two, uh, does honestly what any of us would have done, which is capture 300 foxes, tie their tails together, uh, attach torches to them, and we're told at the beginning of the passage that it's time for the wheat harvest. So we're coming up on that time when we're out of food, we're out of flour, but there's been a good harvest, and ne this next year's safe. Like, look at this, the harvest. So he says, not so fast, guys, and he functionally destroys their economy. That's what, the, that's what this is about. This is their economy. This is their livelihood. This is going to uh, employ people to, to get paid to harvest all. They're not going to make any money now. Um, the, the guy who mills the flour, the guy who bakes the flour, all the different ways that the economy is tied to wheat. And not just the economy, but the, the livelihood that of, of people having food and, and working for that food is gone. And, and like any fire, he intends to kill the wheat and destroy the wheat, but it's also orchards and vineyards that are destroyed as well. So there's a catastrophic fire, which happens, you know, when you tie foxes' tails to torches. So his bride is given away. He destroys their, their grain. So number three, as the downward spiral continues, the Philistines kill her and her father. They 
attack her. So point number four, what happens next? Well, the words of Scripture are Samson viciously slaughters many of them. So he um, slaughters viciously many of them. So no cooler heads prevailing, no let's talk about this, let's come to the table, no vicious slaughter of many people. So number five, the Philistines assemble an army to capture and kill Samson. Let's get him, let's take him off the board. So they bring 3,000 people, um, the Israelites go to him and say, we're going to be attacked, assaulted, there are, there are rulers, we can't, we can't beat them in battle, why have you done this to us? And so Samson does the opposite of what most people would do in that situation. Most people would say, okay, I understand, I recognize that. Kill me mercifully and swiftly and then give me to my enemies. Don't let me fall alive into the hands of my enemies because of what they'll do to me. The torture, like killing is, is now a certainty. Spare me all of the, the torture and all the other things they're going to do to me. Um, so they bring him before him and then he snaps the ropes, grabs the jawbone of a donkey and an animal that symbolizes stubbornness and an unwillingness to, well, stubbornness. You guys know what stubbornness means. You don't need further detail. A stubborn animal, the jawbone of one, and he kills another thousand people. What begins as a riddle and a claim to marriage ends here with a thousand dead bodies from the jawbone. How do we go from a trickster giving a riddle that can't be solved and tricking them out of giving him a bunch of linen, which again, Samson doesn't strike me as a linen guy, but that's what the fabric is. It's, it's clothing of great value. They don't want to get, give it to him. And then the escalation of violence and back and forth that ends with a thousand dead bodies. And, and by the way, this Samson's end, his life ends in a tragedy and the rest of the, of the book of Judges continues the downward spiral that he began. I don't know how things go from a riddle to a thousand dead people, but I know that this is a story we're familiar with. It's a story, it's a, it's a story we can find in history of escalations of egos and of violence, and it's a story that we find in our own lives. I was talking to somebody that had two good friends, and these two friends don't talk to each other anymore. And I said, why? He said, honestly, I don't know. I don't remember. They probably don't remember. That's how things go. One small thing grew to bigger things, and pretty soon we're not talking to each other, whether it's nations or whether it's neighbors and families. This escalation and these cycles of violence and revenge. Think about that sixth one where Samson's slaughtering people. If you could have just grabbed him, and said to him, Samson, Samson, let's stop. Let's slow down. There's a PowerPoint slide I want to show you that John <laughs> commissioned. I think it's helpful for you to see this cycle of violence and where it's leading us. Where does it end? What's, what's your end game here? And he would have, I'm sure, a look in his eyes that was empty. He'd be holding on to a, a jawbone dripping with blood and say, they brought this on themselves and go back to killing. To the, to the logic of es escalating violence, the downward spiral of the mess we make of things. How do we find peace? How is it that when we look at this passage of 
a Philistine and Samson parting ways of this escalation of violence, and we look around us and see locally, nationally, globally, these cycles of violence, revenge, and somebody saying, stop, we need to stop, and say, we will stop when the last of them is silenced. How do we stop these cycles? We're in the middle of finding God in art. And I wanted to introduce you to one of my favorite artists, if you haven't heard of him. His name is Michael Kiwanuka. Um, anybody, any Michael Kiwanuka fans out there? Yes. I see those hands in the back. Uh, anyway, Michael Kiwanuka. He was born in 1987. He's the son of Michael and Deborah Kiwanuka. They were refugees from Uganda that fled to safety in, in England um, and uh, fleeing the persecution of Idi Amin, who was a ruthless general that became president of Uganda. Um, so they were refugees, political refugees, and escaped and settled in England, in London. And Maku Kiwanuka writes, honestly, some of the most beautiful music. It's, it's inspired, it's, it's very soulful. Uh, it, it could have been honestly recorded at any point in the last 50 years. There's a timelessness to his music, a beauty to his music. Um, and he writes with something all through his music that feels really disjointed and out of place and out of time. He writes about hope. His music is infused with hope. And I brought his album so I could show it to you. Cleverly left it in my office. So you'll have to Google Michael Kiwanuka, his latest album. Uh, he has been nominated for three Mercury Prizes. That's how I actually heard about him, is I love Mercury Prize is like the British Grammy, but it's good. Like when you, when you go through the winners, you know, there's no like Millie Vanilli, or there's no that you're like, oh, that's an interesting choice right there. Uh, a lot of it I really stand by, and I, I, I love, because I tend to like music from England, uh, kind of going through their nominations. And so he's been nominated for all three of his albums, and he won uh, for his second album, Love and Hate. So I'm going to play a song from his newest album, a song called Light. It's a psalm. Um, did I mention that he is an uh, unapologetic, outspoken um, Christian? I didn't? Okay. I just did now. So, yeah. So he, his music and, and, and what he's writing about here in a song, Light, uh, that came in this, this album, I think is 2019, 2020. So it's a time when um, of political, social, societal unrest. So what you're going to see in this video is our images of that unrest juxtaposed with images of hope. So the backdrop of the song is the unrest that we're living in and seeing. The hope, the light is, uh, that he's pointing towards is Jesus. So please enjoy this music video, Light, from Michael Kiwanuka. I love from that song is when he's talking about a hope beyond the dawn. When you think about what's beyond the dawn, that's, that's daytime, that's the daylight, it's a time after the night's over and darkness is gone and away. And he's talking about Christ uh, in that song. That, that, that's, I think, the only way to interpret that is a light coming to us in the time of unrest, like in the time of Samson and the violence. And in our own day, where it feels like that the, these cycles of violence and chaos are outside of our ability to control or even understand, and needing a light to come to us 
Um, This is how John, the gospel writer, introduces us to Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This is John 1, verse 1 through, through 5. And the Word was God. He was with God at the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That light... Go ahead for that for the fifth verse. I forgot to include that in there. Um, do you have, is John 1, 5 in there? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I feel like the story of Samson is darkness without a light shining. And so much of our life, our world, is a darkness craving for a light to come into it. This is how John introduces us to Jesus as light that's come into a dark world and a darkness that could not, will not overcome it. Jesus came to do what Samson could not. Not only was he not able to, but he was unwilling to. That Jesus comes to bring us the true liberation that we seek. He came to be light in darkness. This is what Michael Kiwanuka in his song, Light, says. We're miles apart, safe from dreams. You're running from beyond the dawn. Shine your light on me. All my fears are gone, baby, gone, gone. Too far to run, fall on your knees to find a love. Your light to me, my only son, you'll always shine for me. He's singing amidst a time of darkness and unrest, of a hope coming, of a day dawning, and has fixated on that hope. It's the light that John talks about in introducing us to Jesus, coming into a dark place, the endless cycle of violence and revenge. In the dark world, Jesus announces, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So in light of that song, in light of Christ and the hope we have, and in light of a very dark passage, I want to end by just pronouncing a blessing. Blessed are you when you bring peace to cycles of violence. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when you take the high road. Blessed are you when you think of the perfect response, the perfect comeback, and you don't say it or you don't type it because you don't want to contribute to that downward spiral. Blessed are you when you forgive someone from your heart before they even apologize. Blessed are you when you unplug from the endless cycles of partisan news to be engaged in the brokenness of your own community, in your own backyard. Blessed are you when you realize justice is not bound by either political party because neither party cares at all for the kingdom of God. Blessed are you peacemakers For yours is the kingdom of God. God is with you, and you will be called children of God. So come to the table this morning, those of you who are desperate for a true peace, for a true light to come into a dark world. Come find peace at his table, the table of Christ. And as you return to your seat, pray for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done on earth, as it is in heaven. Let's pray.
Father, it is so hard to find hope. Forgive us for all the ways we've tried to find hope in people like Samson, who just further the wounds of this world. May we find our hope in Christ. And may we find our hope in Christ alone. May we find the peace that only your Son can give us, that we might be lights in a dark world. We pray for all the mercy and grace we need to do this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you come to the table?